0: Welcome to the Tales of American History, the Witnessing History Education Foundation podcast, educating Americans to understand the history of their country and of other countries so that they will appreciate the value of America's unique free institutions. Take a journey back through time with Kent Masterson Brown and his guests and let their storytelling transport you to the most compelling moments in American history. Become an American hero who participates in our mission by joining us at witnessinghistory.org. Download our documentaries and free teacher education materials that conform to grade-level education standards at pbslearning.org. Follow Witnessing History on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn.
1: Well, I'd like to welcome uh, Wayne Motts from a place we're both very familiar with, Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, to uh, our podcast here. Uh, Wayne, Welcome.
2: Well, thank you, Kent. It's a real (laughs) honor to be here with you.
1: (laughs) Wayne, uh, besides being a a 30-year veteran licensed guide on the Gettysburg battlefield, is the chief executive officer of the National Civil War Museum in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And um, uh, Wayne, tell our viewers a little bit about that museum. Uh, One what if you if you walked into it from the front door, what kind of things would you see? What kind of things does it house? And um, let them know a bit about it.
2: Well, uh, thanks, Kent, very much. So the National Civil War Museum is headquartered in the state capital of Pennsylvania in Harrisburg. It's 39 miles north of the Gettysburg Battlefield. It is a tremendous facility, 65,000 square feet of space. It's one of the largest museums in the country uh, for this uh, genre. And the museum houses, uh, I think, one of the finest collections of Civil War artifacts anywhere in the world. So it has about 4,000 three dimensional objects and about 21,000 archival objects, uh, items, including paper, photographs. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. we do the war from the beginning to the end, start to finish. Uh, There's about 30,000 square feet of educational space uh, inside the museum. So when you walk in the door, you see a house divided, Mm -hmm. the causes of the American Civil War. Mm -hmm. You go right into uh, the slavery issue. You go into the first shots, into the training of the armies, into all the campaigns. And then it has some unusual things, which I'm really proud of. And I think those – don't get a lot of attention anywhere else. So the, these would be the medical aspects of the Civil War, women yeah. in the Civil War, prisoners, immigrants, African-American troops, yeah. music. We've got a whole display on music wow. in the Civil wow. War. Wow. So when you come visit this museum, you get the entire Civil War in a nutshell, and mm-hmm. it really gives you the great context when you go visit Gettysburg or the wilderness or any of these other places. Wow. And the context
1: is, yeah. is set there for yeah. you. Yeah. Isn't that neat? Let me ask you, are there any uh, special areas of that museum to you? That you oh, like the most?
2: Yeah. Well, it's it's. Uh, so first of all, I'm a person that all my life have been interested in the civil war. My family started a military museum. Can uh, I tell everyone I took things to show and tell that Homeland Security would jail you for <laughs> today. You go to jail for the things that I took yeah. to yeah. to show and tell. Luckily, the principal said it's just Wayne. Forget about it. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's harmless. Uh, it's there. So. <laughs> I, all my life I've been interested in artifacts and objects. My father had a set of diaries that belonged to a Civil War soldier killed at Fort Wagner. And wow. he used to read those wow. to me when I was a child. Wow. They're still in my family's possession. They've been in their possession for over 60 years. Wow. So for me, I was Willy Wonka handed the keys to the chocolate factory. That's the best way <laughs> I can describe it. So every area of the museum I enjoy and I like.
1: Yeah,
2: uh, I especially yeah. like uh, – the uh, uh, arms and armormen and weapons and dress of the Civil War soldiers yeah. because I think people often yeah. don't understand what does the uniform look like? What do they, the soldiers right. carry? Right. I like that. I like our Lincoln Gallery. Have a special gallery related to, to Abraham Lincoln. And one of the things I'm most proud of is when you come into that museum and the museum was constructed in 2000. It's opened mm-hmm. up in 2001. It's been around for 18 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are addressed right up front with the causes of the Civil War and the slavery issue, and, mm-hmm. and I think that the National Civil War Museum may have been one of the first museums to put that, you know, right at the fort. What have, right historians the have War, known for a yeah. century and a half, yeah. but put it in the forefront to the education of the Civil War.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I'm pretty
2: proud of, of the—and uh, we had scholars, of course, and uh, people advise us on that content. Sure, But as sure. CEO, I'm, I'm proud of how that's presented and the variety of it's presented and the depth of it. and wow. The comprehensiveness of wow. what's there. Wow. Yeah.
1: Well, let me ask you, uh, are there special relics you like? In oh, that museum,
2: yeah, I have many favorites. <laughs> I've got uh, tell us about a few. <laughs> uh, so one of my favorites, uh, which I just did a little uh, Facebook video on ourselves for the museum, we have a diary in the museum that was carried by a soldier in the 12th Mississippi Infantry Regiment killed at the Mule Shoe. So this diary oh. belonged to a soldier of at Pennsylvania at the Mule Shoe, yeah. and he was killed um, May 12th, I believe, yeah. And – The diary was taken by a Union soldier, so it's written in by this Confederate soldier, and in Uh the second part of it, he started the diary May 19th, this Union soldier did, and he was captured and ended up in Andersonville, and he (laughs) survived his captivity. But this diary is written in by soldiers of both sides
1: in in the Civil
2: War and survived and tells the story of both of those. That's one of my... Favorite piece. Is it a one-year diary? It, it it it's not even quite a year. It mm-hmm. doesn't. It's just the. It's a one yeah. diary, and it starts in eighteen sixty-four. Okay. It has an accounting in the front of it as, And I know you and your career have seen many of these diaries. You know, yeah. sometimes the soldiers yeah. write who owes the money or that's what it. they Precisely. <laughs> yeah, and so that that's in the beginning of this, yeah. and part yeah. of it's in pen, part of it's in pencil. Yeah, and so you know we've tried to track down some of that, but that has to be. Uh, I like the the things that are what I would say are the more common. So we have U.S. Grant Spoon, for example. We have a Bible carried by Robert E. Lee in, at the time of the American oh, Civil War, oh. two two swords owned by Jeb Stewart uh, in the war. But my, yeah. the things I like are the common – things. Uh, yeah. My friend, Gary Edelman, who works for the American Battlefield Trust, he came out to visit me and he was most impressed that we have a shovel with the leather scabbard and the shovel goes in. And he said, wait, I've seen thousands of photographs of those, but I've never seen one yeah. in the flesh. I've never real. Seen one. And, uh, and so in the museum collection, we have an archival document, which I have never seen. I've only read about it. Uh, a slave policy from Aetna Life Mm -hmm. for a slave uh, in South Carolina. I've only read these things. I've never never seen one in person until I came to the museum. And we have two letters from prisoners – where yeah. postage was paid by both sides. So there's Union and Confederate stamps, <laughs> which you had to do in the Civil War. Yeah. I've only ever read about it. I've never seen it. Yeah. Until I came no, to the I've museum. never seen anything so, like that at all. <laughs> so the things that are housed in a museum, <laughs> in some cases, uh, you, you read about them, but you don't actually see the
1: live. Yeah, I used to collect diaries because, um, one, I like to use them in my writing. Sure. Uh, particularly diaries that, uh, you know, have never been used before in a publication. And I remember right. one. Uh, that I had, I picked up years ago. And I think I got it at Gettysburg at one of those great shows, you know, in the summertime. And it was a diary that was carried by a soldier in the 128th Pennsylvania Infantry uh, at Antietam. Mm -hmm. And he fills it in all the way up until the morning of September 17. And from there on, and it's in ink, from there on, it's in pencil filled in by a Georgian who took it out of his the Pennsylvanians' pockets. He was killed. Wow. And... Um, same, the, same story like that. Same have, story, our, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah. Uh, 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 that was just a gem to me yeah, for yeah. so long. And I used it in some publications. But I used to love to do that. You'd yeah. find these, and um, uh, I had one from the 62nd Pennsylvania, I remember. And um, <laughs> this is, a, he was a captain uh, his name was Gard Gardner, and um, uh, I've been using it in my Mead book because yeah. it's some of the most graphic descriptions of the fighting in the wheat field uh, you could imagine. So some of these are just amazing, right. just amazing. Uh, well, uh, continue. Besides the diaries, do you have any other ephemera like uh, letters, soldier letters, letters? Um, we
2: have many of those things in the archives, and our job right now is to try to get them cataloged and get them transcribed using volunteer yeah. labor. Most people that come to the National Civil War Museum in Harrisburg today, most of them come to see the museum, 99%. Sure. You can't call and say, hey, do you have this specific thing I'm working on, yeah. and we can show you that. Yeah. But we're hoping to get some finding aids and get uh, oh. some of these things so you know if you're a scholar to come research at the Civil War Museums. Right. We have a phenomenal archival collection manuscript, archives, diaries, letters, and correspondence from the Civil War, and they're virtually untouched. They've not been used wow. by wow. anyone. Not because we don't want them to be used, but we want to get them in, in uh, cataloged in such a First. way that people know they're there know and get, get a finding aid
1: yeah.
2: uh, that's, uh, that's there. So we have a lot of that material kit, and yeah. uh, almost all of it is unpublished. Almost yeah.
1: all of it's never Oh, been. that's incredible. Never that's ready. stuff I love. I yeah. just love that stuff. Well, tell me about um, uniforms. Do you have any – what kind of uniform – I know you have What kind of uniforms do you have on display there?
2: Well, we have um, uh, Hmm. from frock coats to sack coats to the basic uniforms of the Civil War. We have some which are unidentified. We don't know who wore them during Mm -hmm. the war. But we also have some famous uh, coats and – we have one that belonged to a Western Theater General, George Maney. He's buried in Nashville, sure. Tennessee. Sure. We have General Maney's coat. And sure. we have another coat that belonged to General George Sears Green. It's probably our, our most really? well-known frock coat that we have really? in the collection. And uh, it's in wonderful shape, wonderful shape. His coat is a Brigadier General. and. <laughs> <laughs> wow, yeah. wow. So wow. I would say uniform-wise, that's that's really nice. We just recently got a donation of some uniform pieces for the 114th Pennsylvania, which was a, Ooh, a Zouave, Zouave out, you know, outfit unit. Collis' Zouaves, uh, yeah. There for Charles H.D. Collis for yeah, the Zouaves. Yeah. Um, and what I'm trying to do, or what we've been trying to do, is we have all these things, but unless we get them on display, we don't have a lot of time to do research. So there's infinite amounts of research. Yeah. So job security, and let's go to the archives and yeah. get service records and pensions yeah. because there's a lot of uh, personal stories we can get if we're able to get the research. Now, yeah. having said that, it's like the National Archives. You've got thousands of these things yeah. and you have, you know, time is required, of course, to get right. through there. The internet has made it easier with newspaper articles and uh, sure. uh, getting service records and, and things of that and
1: yeah. nature. Yeah. This uh, uh, uniform of George Green. Um, is it a Brigadier General's?
2: It is. It's a Brigadier General's coat. It. I think it's the same one. We believe it's the one that he wore in at, these actions at like Gettysburg. at Cedar Mountain at Gettysburg. Oh. Um, we have uh, a photograph of that taken from the National Archives, and I believe it is the coat we have. It has the velveteen cuff. Sure. It's the exact same sure. coat that we, sure. that we have.
1: Well, of course, so. his his actions at Gettysburg are nothing short of heroic. Right. Um, uh, Meade had to strip everything away from the Baltimore Pike the line of supply and communication of the army, and George and his one lone brigade were left. And uh, the guy spread them all out to try to occupy the same ground the whole Dagon Corps did, and then got hit by four different Confederate brigades. And uh, yeah. it, it called in reinforcements from elsewhere. One by one, these regiments come in, but he held them back. It's just a remarkable, remarkable thing. Well, tell me, uh, what about Confederate uh, uh, uniform pieces?
2: Well, General Maney's uh, uniform okay, that I General mentioned Maney, is probably sure. one, of, know, the most, one Maney, of the yeah. most well-known that we have. Yeah. Um, we have some items that belong to General Pickett, including a sleeve that he was wearing, a Gaines Mill, wow. uh, when, he, uh, when he was wounded. Uh, we have a, a staff officer's uh, coat. He died of disease. He's buried at Hollywood Cemetery in, mm-hmm. in Richmond. So we've got a couple of uh, couple uniform pieces. Confederate pieces are rare, as you know. Mm-hmm, uh, they are. Then are, are there. But we also have some interesting, um, uh, you know, just regular uniform pieces that mm-hmm. you often don't get to see. You know, yeah. the different shades and colors of the uniform, different types of fabric that were yeah. made, especially for the Confederates.
1: Yeah, different yeah. shades and colors yeah. in both armies, weren't there? Yeah, I mean, really, that's I mean, right. So, armies.
2: and I, I'm the chief executive officer. I think— and sometimes I'd rather be the curator, but sometimes I have to go down and ask Brett Kelly, our curator, some of these uh-huh. questions, Ken, because yeah. he certainly knows the collection much better than I do. I've yeah. been there seven years, and I would spend every day looking at that if I <laughs> uh, if I uh, if I could. Uh, yeah. He's been our curator uh, really since uh, before the museum opened, so yeah. he knows every piece really in yeah. his head. Yeah, and we work on, on that. But it's just it's fascinating when you see. I, I've experience.
1: seen the, uh, the 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 film clip of you and I think Gary Edelman uh, with Alonzo Cushing's belt. Uh, Tell us about that.
2: So we have a belt uh, (laughs) in the National Civil War Museum, uh, model 1851 buckle, Mm -hmm. regular brown belt. Uh, with the name A.H. Cushing, Alonzo Cushing's belt. And there's a photograph taken after the Battle of Antietam in September of 1862, which you're aware of. Yeah. And if you download that from the Library of Congress and, and enhance that detail, you can clearly see he's got the this, you know, eagle buckle. He's got a regular belt. And I, I think it very well could be
1: R. <laughs> is that the one taken in the Eastwoods with the uh, artillery officers? Uh, yeah, that's yes. correct. That's right. the one taken in the yeah.
2: Eastwoods. And, and you would know much more about the history that than I do. Yeah. But there's one taken on the porch, which is a different one. And I'm not yeah. sure he's wearing the same belt there. When you do look at that, it looks a little different. Yeah. Uh, the With one where Sumner's he has, staff.
1: Right, yeah. right, right.
2: Which is a staff. So there's one taken out in the field, the one you're describing. And if you enlarge that photograph, you've got basically our belt, the belt that's in our collection, <laughs> uh, which, is, which is which is really neat. And he has got his name inscribed on it. Uh, and we actually... Uh, put that on loan to the National Park Service uh, a year or two ago when they had uh, a display of Alonzo Cushing's Medal of Honor, of yes, course, which right. President Obama awarded in 2014. And they asked us whether we would, the park being they, if we would loan uh, uh, the belt, and they put it next to the medal. Uh, uh, and it's my understanding the medal is going to be donated to Gettysburg National Military Park. Uh, it and is. The families, if they haven't already done so, they, it they is. may have.
1: Uh, um, uh, Jessica Loring, okay. who is the one who received the medal, Okay. Um, is a good friend. And um, uh, she told me that uh, when it was awarded, there were members of the family, you can imagine this, uh, that began to kind of scrap over who would get it. Yeah, right. Yeah. And uh, she said, uh, you know, can't I thought about it once, twice. And I said, hell, it belongs at Gettysburg. So she just gave it. That's nice. Yeah. And uh, what's neat is that... Um, that medal is, uh, six months out of the year, is also displayed at West Point, okay, which is where uh, he's buried. Mm-hmm. He was a graduate of the class of June of 61. Yeah. And um, I had a dear friend, uh, General Richard Treffrey. He's a lieutenant general, retired. He's now uh, gone, I think. But uh, General Treffrey... Uh, was very interested in seeing Alonzo get awarded that medal. And he was on the War Decorations Board. Oh, wow. Okay. And um, uh, he kept telling me, he says, Kent, when that medal is is finally awarded, it really should go to West Point. <laughs> and he says, and they could put it over the entrance to, the inner entrance to the library. So every cadet sees that. Oh. And uh, he almost got his wish. Wow. Uh, Jessica gave it to Gettysburg and, Gettysburg loans it to West Point for a period of time, and then it comes back. But so you get so you get the best of both worlds. Best and of it's both worlds. Absolutely, the, the and, mean, and it's protected. Thing. I mean, you know, right. any one yeah. of the families anywhere would have one member who just wants to get something off of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. So here it is. It's just fabulous. She's a wonderful lady. That's and, what it is. It's great that uh, you
2: found a receptive person. I mean, For me,
1: as a museum person, we're
2: thinking two things. One, it should be preserved. And two, it shouldn't be preserved just so nobody has a chance to see it. It ought to be interpreted. It ought to be viewed, and people ought to be able to see it. And unfortunately, a lot of these family collections, you know what happens. People die. There's disasters. There's divorces. There's all these things happen, and the stuff goes to the four winds. So it's wonderful that stuff gets preserved, should be, and interpreted at these places.
1: Absolutely. And of course, for those uh, listeners here... uh, Alonzo Cushing uh, commanded uh, as a uh, First Lieutenant, Battery A of the 4th United States Artillery, uh, six three-inch ordnance rifles at the Angle at Gettysburg. It was the uh, focal point of the uh, Pickett's divisions attack against the Second Corps, and he was multiple times wounded before he was killed uh, in that. And uh, I'll tell you a story uh, about when I was working on Cushing's life, uh, I contacted the uh, a little county historical society in Chautauqua County, New York, where he grew up, yeah. and in Westfield, New York. And they told me, uh, you know, we don't know of anything we have here about him in particular. Uh, there are a few things in the uh, public library in Fredonia, but we do have an old trunk upstairs that uh, was a Cushing trunk. and. And uh you're welcome to come up and take a look. Well I'll tell you Wayne uh, I, that was a revelation to me or I got on Friday afternoon around four o'clock in the afternoon.
2: so you're, uh, by, so you're in your car at five o'clock around three in the morning <laughs> the next day I'm, I'm,
1: I'm, I'm getting out of the car in Westfield New York <laughs> yeah. and uh, I got to the got to the old house where all this was and they let me in and I went up in the attic. And from the time that place opened, like at 8.30 until 3, all I found were just bits and pieces. Uh, And I was kind of getting discouraged. And I I kept digging. And finally, at the very bottom of that trunk was a great big envelope, like a business envelope you used to see in the early. And this business was stuffed. And in pencil on the outside, it read... Alonzo's Letters.
2: Oh, my Lord.
1: Jeez. And there were 26 letters written by Alonzo Cushing from the time he was a second classman at West Point mm-hmm. all the way up until one month before he was killed. Wow. And I just, I, you know, that's what I said, hell, I can write about him now. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I can yeah. make him talk. Yeah. So uh, he's near and dear to my heart. But I've never seen that belt in the flesh. And I want uh, I. I wanna, well, you've got a standing invitation uh, oh, well, to come no look worry. at it and you know. <laughs> yeah, we put it on
2: display sometimes. Sometimes yeah. it's in storage. Yeah. One time we didn't lo- loan it yeah. down to... Well, obviously, with the items that we have at the National Civil War Museum, we're very causative of the fact that yeah. some of these are rare, uh, especially the textiles. So some of these cannot be on display. People often, when they donate things to museums, they wonder, well, how come my thing can't be on display all the time? Why yeah. can't it just be out there all the time? Yeah. And we have to remind everyone one that, that these items have a shelf life so to speak yeah. and uh, we want to make sure we rotate, especially these items that may be sensitive to mm-hmm. that uh, in and out, mm-hmm. back and forth. So we put some mm-hmm. of these things on temporary exhibit. Then we bring them back into storage, temperature, humidity-controlled yeah. storage, and so that f- for generations we can enjoy these things yeah. and not yeah. just for one generation yeah. of doing it. But yeah. sometimes it's hard for people to gather that, to understand that. And we just – it's our job to try to educate folks about – um, the interpretation of those items, but we also have to preserve them so they can be interpreted yeah, and
1: be around. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, one thing I know collectors and people love to look at are presentation officer swords, mm-hmm. um, staff and field swords, yeah. uh, line officer swords. Uh, what – What notable ones do you have in your collection?
2: Well, we have one that belonged to Brigadier General Frank Wheaton. Wheaton was a brigade commander
1: in the Sixth Corps. Absolutely. Uh,
2: This sword was actually given to him when he was the colonel of the Second Rhode Island and was given to him by his father. Wow. And it's a beautiful uh, presentation sword. We have another one that belonged to— I think it's Henry Landis. Landis was the brother-in-law of John Fulton Reynolds, and we have a, a presentation right. sword that he that was given to him for the action at Oyster Point and right outside where the museum is when the Confederates came all the way up to across the river, mm-hmm. and he had an artillery battery from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where he was, fr- or from uh, Philadelphia, where he was from, from yeah. Philadelphia, yeah. and uh, this is inscribed with the battles and and, and to him, and he's oh. the brother-in-law of John Fulton Reynolds. Oh, isn't that cool? Yeah, that's so really cool. That that's a that's a nice uh, presentation sword that's, that's really that we cool. uh, that we have we have uh you know some others I can't think of the names off the top of my head
1: but yeah. we have
2: others that are part of that Yeah when I was there.
1: on the uh Gettysburg yeah. Foundation board uh, some years ago uh, I got a call from a a relic dealer in Gettysburg who we all know um uh and uh he said, "I've got something here I want to show you." And I walked over there to his the horse soldier yeah, and yeah. went inside. And up on the second floor, he took me to the a little vault. And he opened the vault door, and out comes this chasseur kepi with a wreath embroidered with U.S. and oh, three no two stars. Yeah, two stars. And um, <laughs> uh, then came out a uh, a lot of photography uh, of a very young officer. Um, and uh, then came out an escutcheon, a uh, post-war yeah. escutcheon with all the battle honors yeah. of whoever this person was, and it had John Fulton Reynolds. And I went, "Oh my heavens!" You know, and it was just a ton of stuff. Right. And um, I said, "This is all of John Reynolds' things." And They go, "Yeah." I said, "Where does it come from?" He said, "It's the family."
2: Yeah.
1: And so, uh, do you think the Gettysburg National Military Park would like that? I said i I would certainly the hell hope so. Yeah, 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 and so we yeah. managed to get that to happen. but yeah. Uh, um yeah, it's great stuff uh, I, I I as a, as an old relic guy from way back, like I know you've been yeah. um, I love looking at that. I love to go to museums. I love to see it all and I'm really glad that we're here to share the National Civil War Museum in Harrisburg with people here in uh, who listened to this podcast. So I, I thank you for that, and well, thank you I, for coming here.
2: I appreciate it, Ken. We want to tell stories. There's yeah. no better way to, to learn about the Civil War than to right. tell stories. That's right. And make those personal for people. That's right. And so at the Civil War Museum, we're using these objects to tell a larger story through the eyes of a real person.
1: Right, And
2: right. And for me at the at the museum, as somebody, as a battlefield guide, an interpreter of many years, as a kid yeah. interested in this, yeah. there's no better way to get people interested than to tell a story.
1: Yeah, No, I agree, and and that's the best way to do it. It is the best way to do it. Well, you know, you're also the co-author of a book called Pickett's Charge at Gettysburg, a guide to the most famous attack in American history. Uh, You and Jim Hessler have put this book together, and I gotta tell you, it is a perfectly beautiful book. It's gorgeously published, and um, Ted Savas out there in California does gorgeous work. His maps are spectacular. And it's very easy to understand where you are in this book because of the way it's laid out in the maps. Tell me, what uh, what are you in in publishing this guide? uh, What are you trying to, to to get to to people who go out on the field? And let them know precisely where events took place. Is that uh, the whole motive behind this?
2: Yeah. So uh, thanks very much, Ken. So uh, first of all, let me just say I got to give kudos to, to to the co-author James Hassler, my friend of sure. many years, a battlefield guide. Jim is a, what I call a closure. You know yeah. me, I like to just uh, piddle around with this stuff, and I think we would have still been waiting on it if it, yeah. if it had been up to Wade uh, uh to get this to get this job done. So he and I we worked very well together. I would work with him on any project. It just yeah. we, I think, did some nice suiting together there. Yeah. And of course, uh, we've got to say, Savis did a tremendous job, as you oh. as you said in the layout of it, and Steve Stanley doing the thirty-one maps because this book is a guide, and yeah. you need to have some spectacular maps yeah. uh, to do it. And of course, Steve is the have been the map maker for American Battlefield Trust for many years, <laughs> so these are first-rate. And and the book is in color, which yeah. I really like because yes. you can lay some things out. Right. What we really wanted to do with this work is a couple things. We wanted to reach multiple audiences. So I think it would be unusual, first of all, to have a hardback book as a as a field guide. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we really wanted you to be able to take this thing out onto the battlefield if mm-hmm. you wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. But we also wanted to make sure that if you were at home, you could follow it and understand it right. with the maps and everything that are in there. Right. And we also did, which I'm really proud of, call, there's things called out, I guess I would say, just little sidebars yes, throughout the, the book that are stories. And each one of those sort of stand alone right. on top of the uh, of the narrative. It uh, we were just pleased to be able to 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 publish the first really ever guide to Pickett's Charge. I yeah. mean, no one else has ever done that. No, no one has. And 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 it's a, it's a it's it's. Uh, if I dare say, the most walked part of the battlefield, I still I think it is, even mm-hmm. more really than a little round top, it, people walking that every day, the assault, yeah. the attack, and seeing the Union defense. We have four tours in here, so we don't forget that the Yankees That's had right. something to do with it, in, right. in this, uh, as That's Pickett right. said.
1: <laughs> That's
2: right. Well, you
1: know, what's, what's neat in it, you go through each of those tours, and, you know, it begins uh, on the Confederate side with the massing of all those field batteries uh, uh, preparing right. to open fire on the uh, Union positions. And, um, what, you got 170, 175 guns that uh, they've brought out there to, uh, to open fire. And uh, I remember uh, Henry Slocum says he had never seen anything like, like it before in his entire life mm-hmm. or since. Right. And, right. Um, right. Uh, but you lay out, you and, and Jim lay out uh, all the batteries, where they are by name, on the maps and in the text— And um, so to begin with, people can literally walk that line along it really in front of Seminary Ridge all the way down to the Peach Orchard uh, laying out all those all those guns. Yeah, and we had many,
2: uh, many a, a day.
1: If you could have recorded our
2: conversations, they wouldn't be pretty yeah. about where how to lay out all those. And this is a micro-study. It is. Mm-hmm. But we took great pride in getting the primary sources as mm-hmm. best we could. Right. For the Confederate batteries, it's quite difficult because the Batchelder maps. Right. Basically, an officer would come and tell John Batchelder, hey, this is <laughs> – and the, in some cases, the plaques are reversed of what you know, some of the others are. Yeah. Even the armament for a couple of these batteries – you. Know, uh, well, what is it? We, we took great pains in looking at many, many primary sources to get to where we're at in the order of battle and what which one's actually fired and which right. one didn't. And I, I think some people would say, well, that's a, a little too much. We just wanted it to be as comprehensive as we could make yeah. it. Yeah. We wanted it to be a go-to source. We wanted you to be able to pick it up and say, this is what these guys think. But more mm-hmm. importantly, the, the the footnotes that basically say, this is where they got it from. So you don't are, have yeah. to take our word for it. For it, you That's can right. take somebody else's That's word right.
1: for it. But, but then, as you as you move along, you go to the attack of each elements of this assault force: um, Pettigrews, uh Dorsey Penders, mm-hmm. uh, Isaac R. Trimble, uh, and then and then pick and then pickets, and uh, you pick up each one of them. So there are there are tour stops so that you see each one, how far they get, um, and then of course. Into the uh, into the defenses, the Union defenses, and um, you follow the uh, North Carolinians. That uh, what farthest to the front at Gettysburg was the motto. I mean, right. I think they had it on their license plates for right. years. Right, right, right. <laughs> who, who actually got the furthest? And did they? Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, we know what
2: we know what the men of the Fifty Fifth of Davis said. Yeah. It's probably the Eleventh Mississippi. You know, when you yeah. look at it, but yeah. it's yeah. Uh, to me, it's a tremendous feat. Um, I can't even imagine. I've read for years the description of that of that fire and what it was like to be there, and I just can't imagine no. being a person there, thinking no. to yourself, you know, the next step I take is going to be the last it's one, the last that, one. I, that I ever and this take. This is going to be awful. Yeah. Um, and it, and it, and it's um, it's just um, for me, uh, it's that human aspect which is important. We, yeah. we forget when we're moving these little numbers around or we're moving yeah. little pins around that yeah. these are people just like you and I. right? And,
1: uh, and they're ter- just getting blown to bits. Yeah, facing
2: facing yeah. that yeah. is just tremendous. And um, so I, I, I like uh, also what we did, which I'm very proud of, is we put some human interest stories in there and we called some of them out in mm-hmm. special call-outs. Uh-huh. And we really tried to personalize yeah. some of those places. We uh, One of my favorites, and you stop me if I'm going too much, Kent, uh, no, no. but is is a a soldier in um, Cushing's battery. And we actually got a photograph from a dealer friend of mine of – uh, a soldier uh, in Cushing's battery, Ansel Fassett Ansel was his Fassett, name,
1: I remember. and yeah.
2: uh, when we were doing research, Fassett's buried in the National Cemetery, mm-hmm. and according to the records, he died on, like, the 13th of July. Well, I found a newspaper article researching in 1926 where this man claimed he was Ansel Fassett, he died in <laughs> California, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so that. with the real Ansel <laughs> Fassett, please stand up, uh, we don't We don't know, and there's a grave over in the cemetery with this man, yeah. and yet there's an entire newspaper article where he said he he lost his papers he couldn't prove who he was and <laughs> and uh, and so there's more research to be done on that and here is an unpublished photograph until we got a hold of it of this of this soldier thanks to our our friend who had, yeah. was a dealer of yeah. a young uh, young man in Cushing's battery reportedly mortally wounded at Gettysburg buried in the National cemetery. Well guess what there's a body there but I'm not wow. sure it's, his wow. name is on it but I'm not sure it's in so fast. <laughs>
1: Wow, it's just incredible. You know, that's to me other than uh, Frederick Fugger and um, and uh, Lieutenant Milne, uh, I don't know of a photograph of anybody else out of that battery. Yet. Yeah. I've never come across one.
2: And you would have been the person to see. Well, I mean, when you're
1: doing regulars, you know,
2: it's it's a lot more difficult to try it, to do some of these it, research. It really is. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's
1: so 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 much less on them. Uh, and let me let's close this here, but by asking this, um it, I know all the times I've taken people out on the, on the field of the uh, Pickett-Pettigrew attack. Um, the question always comes up, uh, wasn't this just suicidal? Um, why would Lee have ordered this? Yeah. What's your answer to that?
2: Well, my answer to that is it's the next logical step for the battle. So if we take a look at what's going on in the battle, first day the Confederates pushed the Union Army— uh, north and west of town drive mm-hmm. them south. Lee attacks on the second day. He still has momentum to mm-hmm. make these assaults. So on July 3rd, I, I don't think it's going to be a question whether he's going to make an attack. He's not going to hand over this initiative and the momentum right. over to the Union Army. He's right. not going to do that. The right. question is where and in, in, in how. It is plan B. I always remind everyone, mm-hmm. Pickett's charge, as you and I know it, is not what Robert E. Lee went to bed with on the night of July 2nd. No. He wanted to coordinate it with, with Pickett and with Ewell's men on the north end of the battlefield. Mm-hmm. He didn't get that uh, because the Union Army is going mm-hmm. to attack over at the north end of the battlefield. Yeah. So he has to settle for Plan B. Mm-hmm. Plan B is thought out. It is talked about. He And we also should know that unless you walk that, you really can't understand the attack because you're not under fire the whole time. No. You, you're, no. There's undulations in that ground the where swales, you're protected. Deep swales. Yeah, and yeah. he wanted the artillery to be a major participant in that and— twice in Robert E. Lee's own words in his official reports, one in July of 1863, one in January 64, Robert E. Lee had two reports, the Mm -hmm. Battle of Gettysburg. Twice he says it's the failure of the artillery is the Mm -hmm. reason why Pickett's charge Mm -hmm. failed. You don't have to take my word for it. You can take Robert E. Lee's word for it. Mm -hmm. He ordered that because it was the next logical thing to do Mm -hmm. and he wanted it properly prepared. And I think the planning of it was in order for it to be successful, everything had to go right. Absolutely. And of course, unfortunately for him, fortunately for the Union Army, everything uh, did not go right, right. on that. But right. Thomas right. Osborne, he's 11th Union Ar- 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 right. Corps Artillery. He said, "Look, I've seen many attacks in the Civil War. None of them had a hope of succeeding." He said, "I was at Kennesaw Mountain. I saw it." Uh-huh. But he said, "Pickett's Charge did." He said, "I think it did." And I was, <laughs> and yeah. I'm the Union Artillerist. Yeah, you know, had yeah. things been properly done, they
1: weren't. Yeah.
2: Uh, so I think you just have to take yourself out of the 21st century mindset yeah. and put yourself back into the 1863. Yeah. I'm
1: often, uh, when I'm out there talking with people, um, uh, always like to remind them that on the second day, uh, the attacks Lee launched against the Union left were so ferocious and uh, fought over so viciously uh, that he could tell by just looking at the casualties on the battlefield and those prisoners of war being taken to the rear, that um, he had virtually demolished the Third Corps, mm-hmm. Union Third Corps. Right. He had virtually, not as much as the Third, but he had really mangled the Fifth Corps mm-hmm. because he could tell. I mean, he these reports are coming back. These guys are from the Fifth Corps. Here's some from the Third. Right. Uh, his, his people were telling him. Right. And that uh, he had mangled at least one division of the 2nd Corps. Mm -hmm. And he knew as well that after the fighting on July 1, that he had taken out much of the 1st Corps and much of the 11th (laughs) Corps. Yeah, so when you start adding up— You You start start adding this (laughs) up. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, he could look at the wreck on the battlefield after the fighting on July 2nd. And so, uh, like you— it's, it is the next logical step for him, and born of the fact that he believed, I'm convinced, yeah. that he had wrecked that Union Army so badly that if he made a concerted effort against the center, he could break it.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, I tell everybody, he, and he's
2: got a nice model he can look to, and he doesn't have to look but only 48 hours. Go to the attack on the seminary yes. where he made a frontal assault yes. against a heavily fortified position. Right. Uh, stacked with artillery, Correct. and the Confederates came right through there and punched a hole right in that defensive work. Absolutely. It's not quite as wide as Pickett's Charge, but Pickett's Charge has more undulations yeah. of ground, more protection. His troops, they completely uh, drove that wedge right in that Union line, drove yeah. it right off, and he's only got to look 48 hours to see it.
1: Again. Yeah, precisely. I mean, he yeah. could look ahead, he could see the swales, <laughs> and you could get an entire on division in those swales. right. right and right. so now they're safe they're s- safer from yeah. enemy fire and they're only going to get sh- shell right. burst on them but you know none of the direct fire so there's a lot to be said for it uh, given all that and which is what he would have seen
2: right and i i think we've got to throw a quick um Quick kudos out to General Meade because oh. let's remember the the Federals put up a very staunch defense. They had a prepared defense there, uh, and how do we know it was good? Because they ended up winning. They, they won. won. <laughs> they won. They won. They won, it. They won. exactly. So right. we've got to get we have to give credit to the Union defenders oh, there absolutely. that put up a tenacious defense there for on on July on That's July third right. to match the bravery of the Confederates coming across that field. On,
1: exactly, uh, on and the effective the effective use of field artillery right. on the Union side too. I mean. I mean, they were they yeah. were striking them with explosive shells way out right. there in the fields, yeah. and um, yeah, it's a it's a fascinating thing. Oh, Wayne, look at my friend. It's been a treat having you here, and um, I wish you all the luck in your. I love your book. Well, thanks, Jim. Uh, and I want you to tell Jim how much I love it too. Um, and um, uh, with respect to the museum, I hope all our viewers, all our listeners, uh, get up to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And take a look at uh, the collections you have up there.
2: And thank, thanks for having me. And, you and bet. just let me say on that on that vein, they can they can go to the website, National Civil War .org. They can Good. go to Facebook like us, follow us, okay.
1: do those kind of things. Super, yeah. super. Wayne, you're a pal. Thank you. Uh, you bet, Ken. Thanks <laughs> okay. for having me. You're welcome. Bye bye.
0: Become an American hero who participates in our mission by joining us at witnessinghistory.org. Download our documentaries and free teacher education materials that conform to grade-level education standards at pbslearning.org. Follow Witnessing History on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn.